Welcome to the Baseline Community Church Podcast. Morning, everybody. Um, it's good to be with you this morning and to have the opportunity to, um, to, to share and, excuse me, I'm a little smaller, um, to share God's word with you this morning. Um, welcome to those of you who are outside and online. Um, like Don said, I hope you're enjoying your pajamas and your coffee. Um, but I, I was given the passage of 2 Corinthians 5, 16 to 6, 2. I'll confess I finished at 6, 1, really. I didn't go into 6, 2. Um, but Don, as he asked me to do this and shared and kind of talked about his goals and hopes for this series, it was really about how um, ministry is each of our responsibility, right? We are all called to ministry. We aren't called just to be passive observers in pews. And so this morning, we're going to take a look at reconciliation as, as one piece of ministry, right? It's just one element of who we are as believers and what we are called to do because of what we believe. So that's what we're going to dig into this morning. I'm going to go ahead and read through the passage of Scripture. It'll be up on the screens for you as well. Um, and then we'll kind of dig into to what God has. And I will confess, I had to borrow my husband's large print Bible to read this. Um, these things happen when you start to get older. Um, but we are starting at verse 16, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting at 16. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. As God's co-workers, we urge you not to receive God's grace in vain. Some powerful stuff in there. Um, let me pray and we'll, we'll dig in. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you already for the worship that has taken place, that we have come before you. Um, thank you that you have made us new creations. Um, that as this word said, you have made us to reconcile. God, as we, as we look at this passage in more detail this morning, I pray for open ears, open hearts, um, that what I say may be what you have for people today. Um, thank you for promising to go before us and be with us in this space. Amen. So reconciliation. Um, obviously, over the last couple of weeks, I've spent some time digging in, reflecting, thinking, praying. And honestly, when I, when I thought about, okay, where's reconciliation in my own life, right? The stories are what people remember. The stories are, are where we go. And I couldn't help um, but think of my dad. My parents were married for 23 years when they got divorced. And I learned really quickly it was because of infidelity. At 16, when this took place, it was pretty black and white. And boy, was I angry with my dad. How dare you, right? What had been a... a teenager, relatively healthy relationship with my dad quickly deteriorated because I was so mad 
and hurt and disappointed. Um, and as you, as you learn to do, as you become an adult and as you get older, we, we figured out how to coexist and how to get to, back to kind of a surface level peace, right? We got married, had kids, bought our first house, and, and your parents are involved in all those things, and, and we just learned how to, how to live life together. But I can genuinely say true, authentic reconciliation really hadn't taken place. So as we focus on reconciliation today, I couldn't help but dwell on that. This, this passage is, is all about God's reconciliation with us and ours with him. And then I think it leads to our reconciliation with others as well. But as Don would say, any passage that begins with the word so is just like a passage that begins with a therefore. So, right, you have to look at what is the therefore, therefore. So we want to know if, if the passage is so from now on, why are we sowing Right? What, what, what came before that to help us figure out why we now think what we think? Right? We're say, Paul is saying what he said because of something that came before. And it, it points really back to verses 14 and 15 that come right before the passage I read. So let me read 14 and 15 and let's add that on to what we're addressing because that actually tells us why we're going to do the things the passage tells us to do. So verses 14 and 15 say, For Christ's love compels us. Because we are convinced that one died for all, and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who love should no longer live for themselves, but for him who dies for them and was raised again. Christ's love compels us. That those who love should no longer live for themselves. It gives us the purpose for why we should do what we should do. Right? It is Christ's love shown through his death and resurrection that causes us to do what is laid out in the passage I read it at the start this morning. It is the fact that Christ gave his life for us and loved us so much that we are then called to the ministry of reconciliation. And I kind of see the passage that I read laid out in three parts. Um, there's, there, in the first couple of verses, 16 and 17, it talks about becoming a new creation, right? The old is gone, the new has come. So that's the first thing we're going to talk about today. Then it talks about God's reconciliation with his people through Christ, kind of the, the why. And then there's the third part that talks about us being called to be ambassadors, right? We are Christ's ambassadors in, in verses 20 and 21. Um, this is, that's this notion of sharing our reconciliation with others so they too can be reconciled. And so I think each of the three sections gives us something. It kind of gives us a mandate of how to deal with reconciliation, how to do reconciliation. So this morning, I want to walk you through the three, the three kind of instructions or mandates that I think the passage gives us about reconciliation because Christ loved us, right? Because Christ died for us. That's our purpose. Here's now what we do with it. So the first thing I see in verses 16 and 17 is, um, as we're talking about becoming a new creation, we're called to accept the change, we have to accept the change that God does. We have to let go of the old way of operating and embrace the new. Um, it says, he has made us a new creation. The, new has, the old is gone, the new is here. God is doing a new thing as only he can do. But sometimes we struggle because we cling to the old, right? Um, we struggle to let go of that. Uh, the analogy I, I came up with, it's like moving to a new city but using the map for where we used to live to try and get around. If we, if we hold on to the old, 
the, the old way of thinking and doing, we're, we're actually going to end up in the wrong place. It does us no good, right? We actually have to embrace the new location, the new directions, the, the new map, um, and not be resistant to the change. I love the way the message version says this, this part. Now we look inside, and what we see is that anyone united with the Messiah gets a fresh start, is created new. And I like that, the bit, the united with the Messiah, right? When we talk about something being in union, it's joined together. We have to choose to join together. That's a partnership, right? Being united with someone is a choice. Um, So if we continue the metaphor about having an old map or a new map, if God provided that new map for us, it's actually up to us to use it. We can choose to pick up the, the new map and know where we're going and be that new creation or not. Um, it's a partnership between the map maker and the map user to actually get to the right place. With God, he makes us new, but we have to recognize the change and lean into it, right? We sang about it this morning, about being made new. Um, and as Don, you know, talked about Hope City, it's in three weeks. Um, and I couldn't help but think of, of how neatly this tied into that, um, We need to embrace the new thing God is doing. So it's an individual thing, right? We get to lean into the new and and be the new creation that God has given us. But we need to allow his transformation to take full flight in the merger as well. There's a new thing God is doing. And it's going to be really easy to hold on to that old map. I'm nervous, right? It's going to be a little uncomfortable around here in a few weeks. There's going to be a heck of a lot of people we don't know. Um in our home, but we, get, we have a choice. We can lean in and, and embrace the old is gone, the new is here. He wants to make us new and allow us to live in that transformation. And what happens when we lean into the new and we, and we, we get to absorb that transformation? We're able to see the world and others differently. Since we are made new, our perspective is made new with it, right? We are new, and that means we see things differently. Our eyes are new. And we have the ability to see others all as children of God. That's what it was talking about when it says we, we, know, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Um, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. We have a new perspective. We see everyone as children for whom Christ died. And this should be reflected in our levels of compassion and grace and empathy do we, do we lean in and allow that new perspective to take place to allow us to see others as God sees them? So accept the change. That's verses 16 and 17. Accept the new that God has created. The second bit I see in verses 18 and 19, um, and I, I see it as acknowledging the gift. God gave us this gift of reconciliation, and we have to acknowledge that it is God who did it. So God's gift to us is reconciling himself to us through Jesus. He allowed his son to die and fully take on our sins. So inevitably, if we're doing a a sermon on reconciliation, I had to look up what does reconcile mean, right? What is the definition of reconcile? And and there's kind of two different ones that that are used commonly. And one is to change thoroughly. Funny enough, we just talked about changing, right? We're a new creation. To change thoroughly or to bring back to right relationship. 
to bring back to right relationships. So this is God's grace to reunite himself to the lost world, to bring back to right relationship the lost world through Jesus. It's the gift of Jesus and the gift from Jesus. Um, Now the focus in all that has to be on Jesus. It has to be on the person of Jesus and what he did for us. Um, It's reconciliation through the cross. It's that vertical, right? God to us through Jesus. Um, Often, I think it gets, we get stuck in looking at religion to be that tool for reconciliation instead of Jesus. And it isn't religion. I was looking up kind of um, steps of reconciliation, whatever. And in Catholicism, there are a lot of formal steps. But but we have to make sure, in, in spite of steps, which are not bad, that it's about Jesus, not the religious process. Um... That's man's attempt to reconcile. It's actually through Jesus that we reconcile. I learned a new word in my research for this. Um, Imputation. Up there. Imputation. I didn't know this word before this. Um, And it means to put on one's account. To put on one's account. Imputation. And this is what, what God did through Jesus. He put on Jesus' account our sin. Right? So that he took on our sin. Right, We sing about that. We, we have lots of references to that. This is how God did it for us as sinners. This is the foundation of reconciliation. We can be reconciled to God because our sins have been accounted for. Right, It's the foundation of salvation. God's reconciliation to us happened because of the imputation of our sins, that, that Jesus took them on. This, this imputation, this is, this is how he makes us the new creation, Right? If God makes us new, it's because he took away our sin. That's how we become new. That's how God did it for us. Through Jesus, he took on our sin and made us new. And then what they call double imputation, um, Jesus gave us his righteousness or his moral rightness. That's what righteousness means, his moral rightness. So he imputed our sins and we imputed his rightness. And we are made new. So I don't know about you, that, that sounds pretty profound, right? This is pretty magnificent gift to have my sins taken away and to absorb, to impute Jesus' moral rightness as a free gift. And what happens when we get a really great gift? I hope the result is gratitude, right? We get to be grateful that, that we can acknowledge the gift that God has given us. We can recognize it for his generosity to us, and we can't help but be grateful for his saving grace. I wonder how much our lives reflect the gratitude of the gift we have been given. Right? Do do we live that way? That we recognize the gratitude? And here's the thing, right? We get one of the most amazing gifts ever. And then we discover that anyone we know can also have the same gift for free. Can we not help but want to share this? So we transition to the third part, verses 20 and 21, which I think is about acting on the responsibility that we've been given. I don't know about you. How many have friends who um, work for or sell for direct marketing companies? Right? So I have a ton of friends on social media that sell Plexus or Young Living Essential Oils or Monet Hair Care 
and they are all clearly very excited to promote these products because they've seen a benefit from them. They either have thicker, healthier hair or a, a more natural way of dealing with um, illness or, or remedy, needing remedies. And that's all great. I, I have no issue with direct marketing companies at all. But what I couldn't help but, but notice um, was how excited they are about sharing their message, right? How gung-ho I get invited to parties. I get direct messages asking if I need to, to make my hair more shiny. I get, right? There, there's this enthusiasm that comes with direct marketing salespeople because that, that, they believe in the product they've, they've sold. We just found out we've got the most incredible gift ever that can transform us. Can we be that excited? Can we try and help others see that the, the gift of Jesus and that reconciliation to God that we can offer? Because both of these things, being new creations in Christ and through the receipt of God's gift of reconciliation through Christ's death on the cross, it now means we then have a responsibility to be the messenger of this. That's what the passage tells us. We are called to be, and it uses this phrase, ambassadors of reconciliation, right? We are Christ's ambassadors, given the task of the message of reconciliation. God has given us the task. We are commissioned to tell others of what God did through Jesus and bring them back into right relationship with him. We bring ourselves back into right relationship through becoming a new creation, right? And then we get to help others do the same. We to help others change thoroughly, right? That was the other part of Reconcile's definition, to change thoroughly. We get to help others change thoroughly because of God's gift. Because we are changed and we can't share, we can't change them ourselves, right? We are we model and we share how we are changed. But they can only know about it if we share our lives with them. I'm going to pull back to the message version once again. Um, I liked how it described this. Listen to this this section of the passage from the message. God has given us the task of telling everyone what he is doing. We're Christ's representatives. God uses us to persuade men and women to drop their differences and enter into God's work of making things right between them. We're speaking for Christ himself now. Become friends with God. He's already friends with you. Become friends with God. He's already friends with you. God uses us to persuade men and women to drop their differences. That's reconciliation. So what does this look like? For me, I see it as showing rather than telling, right? Most of us don't like to be told what to do or how to do it. But living in community and being open and vulnerable about our own experiences and life stories is how we start to live out this message um, of Christ's reconciliation, letting others see and experience Jesus in, this, Jesus in us. But might this also look like facilitating reconciliation between other people? There's so much polarization in our world right now. You don't need me to remind you, right? Political, racial, religious, whatever. We, there are lefts and rights, and I don't even just mean politically. Um, but we're called to bring back together into right relationship. So here's what struck me. We can't bring to two sides together if we're camped out in one of them. We, we can't 
bring reconciliation about if we sit in one camp or the other. We need to be in Jesus' camp, which is about grace and healing and love for others. So how do we go about the act of reconciliation? Reconciling with God is surprisingly simple, right? We, we ask for his forgiveness. We, we ask, invite him in. Um, we call that repentance, right? Ask for forgiveness, turn away from, from what we're doing, and we change our actions. That's, what, that's all he asks, right? For reconciliation, to come back into right relationship with God, he asks that we acknowledge our sin and ask him to take over. It's simple. Reconciliation between humans, if that's what we're tra- that's how we model it, right? Those who don't know God or can't see God need to see it modeled between other humans. That, that's a harder concept. And it's harder. It's imperfect because we're human. We aren't without sin. But it's still important and necessary. This is how others experience God in us, right? Through our ability to, do, to navigate reconciliation with others. So... While it is all in, reconciliation is all about acknowledging Jesus. There are steps out there that, this was some of the research I was doing, right? That, that how do we practically go about trying to help facilitate this? And, and there's a pastor named Jim Wollstenholm that I found. I had a very simple list of three steps that I thought was quite useful, just as kind of a framework or a roadmap to do it. And he says, you have to look in, look out, and communicate. So look in, step one. Acknowledge your role in whatever conflict is happening. Do the hard internal work of self-reflection, right? Dig in, seek God, and ask to figure out where's my role. If if I'm trying to reconcile with someone else here on earth, um, that that I need to bring bring that relationship back into the right place, um, what's my role in that? What does that look like? What am I responsible for? And ask God to convict and compel you and, and, and seek his forgiveness for your role in that. Look in. Then look out. Except assess the role of the other person or people in the situation when you're calm. Let's not do this at the height of anger, right after the circumstance occurred. Probably not going to be the most productive. But when, when you can take a step back, assess their role and forgive them. Simple, right? Not really. But forgiveness has to be clearly held in order to reconnect in reconciliation. You have to get to that place of letting go the role of the other party. And then communicate. The communication piece isn't about blame or rehashing what went wrong or who did what. It's instead about communicating that you accept your responsibility. In an ideal world, um, this step happens mutually, right? And we both accept our roles and we look at each other and say, yeah, I'm really sorry, this was my role in this. And that person would look at you and say, yeah, I'm really sorry, this was my role in this, will you forgive me? Um, Let's be honest, often that's not the case. We don't often reach that step at the same time. If the other person isn't at this place yet, according to Pastor Wolstenholm, all you can do is accept your own responsibility and leave it at that. Hebrews 12, 14 calls us to strive to be at peace with everyone. And so you have to own your peace, your part at being at peace with others, to listen well and to listen to understand, not just to respond, just hear them out. Now, I don't know about you, but when I went through that, that 
process, right, those three steps, there's an awful lot that was on me for reconciliation and not a whole lot on them. Yep. Because really, you can't be in control of what someone else does. You can only own your own peace. And reconciliation, this is about what you can do to reconcile, to bring back into right. You can, make, you can only do what you can do to bring back into right relationship. So you self-reflect and own your part. You forgive them for their part. And you tell them that you own your part and you're sorry and you ask for forgiveness. All on you. And you have done your best to live at peace with everyone. And we have to leave the harder work to God to say, okay, bring us back into right relationship. So my reconciliation with my dad, back to that, didn't come until he had a terminal diagnosis. At the encouragement of a mentor that I was um, meeting with, I wrote him a letter to kind of bridge that gap because that was easier for me than the the face-to-face And by that stage of his illness, he had to have his wife type back because he had lost his fine motor skills. He had to narrate slowly to her um, so he he could reply. And there was forgiveness and understanding. But on this side of heaven, reconciliation is often imperfect. There were things left unsaid. They just didn't seem necessary under the circumstances. But the main thing for me was that there was effort to bring back into right relationship, regardless of all that had gone before. It wasn't perfect. There are still things that I wonder about. But there was intention and there was purpose towards forgiveness that changed thoroughly, Um, the change which brought about newness in our relationship that made it okay, an ability to let go of the past and embrace what remained of our time together before he passed away. So for me, what was the done when he was reviewing my notes, kind of said, so what's the key takeaway? You know, and, and my immediate answer was, well, it's to accept, to acknowledge, and to act, right? It's these three A words that we, we talked about along the way. But honestly, for me, it's don't wait for, for a terminal diagnosis to seek reconciliation. Whether it's with someone you love here on earth or with God, there's so much joy and peace and grace in a healed relationship. Maybe you need to embrace your new creation status. Maybe to partner with God to help facilitate reconciliation with someone else as his ambassador. What, an, what a gift, what an empowerment. Or maybe you simply need to accept that he can make you new. It's his doing, and he's waiting to do it for you. And the new you will find the capacity to forgive and embrace those around you where reconciling might need to happen. I pray this for you this morning. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for the gift you have given us, this gift of reconciliation that you have made us new through the reconciliation that Christ made available to us. God, may we pick up the responsibility that you've asked us to act upon as as your ambassadors. What a privilege that we might go out and help others be reconciled to you and reconciled to each other. Help us to fulfill what you have asked us to do and to do it with grace and love and compassion and empathy because you have done it for us first. Thank you for that gift. Amen. 
thank you for joining us. For more information about Baseline Community Church, please go to BaselineCC.com.